Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we talk about strange things that happen in history. I'm your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hi. Hello. So... I'm taking over the uh, running of this podcast for a few weeks, probably, uh, because I instigated a coup against Amelia. (laughs) Uh, We are no longer acting as a sort of two-person consulship, and I am now dictator for life. Uh, No, but seriously, I will be doing the next few weeks because Amelia is going to be very busy uh, marking exam papers. I am. I've got three jobs now. Indeed you do. So as such, I'm going to take over and I hope you're all right with that. And if you're not, eh, whatever. Skip ahead a few weeks. (laughs) Wait till I can come back. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Oh, I've just realized I need to redo this. I need to start again. Okay, why? Um, because because we should be taking a different approach to this one. We should be talking about, Hello, comrades, and welcome <laughs> to the entertainment podcast That Time When, the amusing and semi-factual podcast about history. I am comrade host Barnaby King, and joining me is comrade co-host Amelia Edwards. Glory to the People's Republic. <laughs> Hello, comrades. Hello. So the reason I did that little bit of weirdness... Sure. Uh, is are you be- okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. But this week we are going to be talking about a workers' dispute. Ooh. Uh, a workers' dispute that, I mean, the length of it is arguable. The mm-hmm. bit I'm going to talk about lasted about seven years. Okay. But really it lasted about four decades. Right. Um, what are you talking about when you say a workers' dispute? Do you mean like a strike? Hell yeah, I am. Okay, okay. So I've been. Thinking- it's not just someone grumbling, being no. like, "This tea's not very good." No. <laughs> I'm going to have an issue about this. I mean, this is going to take place in America, so definitely not tea. They had a whole thing about that. This cup of Joe is not good. <laughs> But yeah, in uh, recent weeks here in the UK, we've been hearing about the upcoming strike action that's going to be taken by the various railway unions. We have? Uh, well, I have. Okay. You, probably, you probably haven't. And that's I have fine. not heard no. of this. But there, is, there are going to be a few days of strike action coming up. Okay. Um, if you're listening to this from the future, then it's already happened and you don't need to worry about it. Cool. Um, but there has been a lot of like pushback from official sources to be like this is not good we do not support this you must not support this uh the conservative party even put round a uh, a thing online which is like hey fill out this survey to say if you support the strike or not but conveniently at the bottom in order to submit the survey you have to consent to being given marketing stuff by the conservative party really yeah oh wow yeah like so the thing about strike action sort of modern day strike action particularly in the uk is that there has been a lot of effort put in over the last decades to really create an anti-union sense union's kind of a bad word I think, in many circles. I think so, for the most part. Like, I'm part of a union because I'm in one of the teachers' unions. You filthy communist, you. (laughs) And I feel like teachers' unions maybe get a little bit more slack. I don't know Mm. why. I think there was a point where people hated the teachers' unions because there were a lot of strikes at one time. I mean, I think these things, sometimes they they come in waves. And 
I, I think the thing with teachers is that really teachers have a lot of power in this country if only they put their minds to it because so many people don't want to spend time with their kids. <laughs> so if the teachers don't work, they'll be forced to. Yeah, very so, true. So, yeah, I mean, just think about that, teachers. We were talking today, just today about the fact that there are some kids at my school who get dropped off at about 10 minutes past seven in the morning. Whoa. And we were like, it's always the naughty kids. Oh, that's so sad. It is sad. Well, let's try and cheer up those naughty kids with talk of industrial disputes. Yay! <laughs> there is nothing that young people like more than a good piece of strike action. Well, this might appeal to them because this is a brutal and bloody history. Ooh. We are going to 1931 Kentucky. Nice. Particularly Harlan County. Okay. Now, this is during the Great Depression. Obviously, no one's having a good time. No, no. But uh, the businesses of Harlan County, which specialised in coal mining, tried to come up with a way to keep their businesses afloat during the Depression. Okay. Because people weren't really buying coal because, you know... They couldn't afford it. Exactly. No one had any money. So what they decided to do was basically slash the the price of coal to being almost cost value. Great. Like they would get practically no money from it. Okay. And the idea was that this would encourage people to keep buying coal so that when things got better, they could slowly raise the price again and it would just keep them afloat so they wouldn't go out of business during the depression. Right. Okay. But in order to do this, they had to cut costs elsewhere. Mm. So, the Harlan County Coal Operators Association decided that in order to uh, cut costs, on February 16th, they introduced a 10% wage cut for all coal miners. Whoa, that is insane. Yeah, it is a hefty wage cut. And this is not a rich area to begin with. No, well, if you're a coal miner... I don't think there were any ever any coal miners who were paid a reasonable sum. True, but even for coal miners, this area was particularly impoverished. Mm. So, of course, the United Mine Workers of America, or the UMW, tried to organise these already impoverished workers. Yeah. Uh, not all of them were members of the unions, um, but they basically tried to get more and more people on side they had seen an uptick in union membership but it it wasn't quite enough for them to be you know super strong yeah so they're like we need to start organizing and start encouraging union membership that makes sense and of course the coal operators didn't want this yeah so they responded by rounding up and firing known union members and leaders and also evicting them from the company-owned homes. Oh, God, yeah, because there were a lot of company-owned houses, weren't there, back yeah. in those days? Around Holland County, uh, most of the towns there were known as incorporated towns. They mm. were basically owned and run by these various companies in fact there were only three towns in the area that were not owned by one of these coal mining companies oh my god yeah okay great so you lose your job you lose your house and not only that you can't even go to another company because they would blacklist the workers as well yeah so as such they basically made it impossible for a a, quite a number of people to actually work in this county great The uh, unionists would flee to the three unincorporated towns I already mentioned, uh, principally a town called Evarts. Okay. 
This effort on behalf of the company did backfire as the workers saw what was happening to the unionists and rather than sort of being like, oh no, we shouldn't join a union, they Mm. were like, hang on, you can't do this. You are basically slowly murdering these people. Yeah. So they decided that they were going to join in and go on strike with the unions. Okay. And this was not just against the wage cuts, but also the working conditions Uh, the treatment of the workers and Mm. also the fact that these companies operated company stores. Oh god not company stores. Yeah so for those who don't know company stores are basically the place that you go and spend your wages. They are Mm. the various shops and they are owned by the company and Sometimes you're encouraged to to spend stuff at the company store by being sort of paid tokens yeah. rather than actual money. I think a few people tried this again recently. Yeah. Like not necessarily to just have a company store, but to pay something in credits rather than yeah. in anything else. And that was quickly shut down, thank God. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that people will try that. Mm. Um, in this case, they didn't have tokens. They did pay cash, but... If a worker was found buying something from a non-company store, then they could be fired on the spot. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is so ridiculous. Yeah. See, I'm finding this really interesting because my great-grandfather was a miner at this time. In Harlan County? Not in Harlan County, in Wales. Ah, glorious Wales. Glorious Wales. But um, this, like, the way that that was run was so much more, like traditionally british yeah because the coal mine was owned by one person at that time right you know a man whose family had always owned the coal mines and he had this like victorian patriarchal view of how mm. that should be run so his idea for solving any problems with you know not having enough workers or anything like that was just send more children and babies down the mine effectively yes that was the british way a hundred percent no in this case like he's he seemed like kind of a sweet person and it's that sort of cute tale of yesteryear where you kind of overlook the problems of capitalism like (laughs) he used to dress up as father christmas every year and have a big party and all the kids got like cake and stuff but at the same time it's like but you only have this money because these children are in poverty in the first place you know it's that that sort of like repeating thing yeah and i guess the problem is that even with all those problems, it's still better than the Harlan County company. It, de- it definitely sounds like it. Yeah. And the thing is, my grandpa always remembers him, like remembered him with fondness. Yeah, because he was yeah, nice. He and, was yeah. nice. He cared about people. Yeah. yeah, he didn't fire people for not spending money in the company store no. and then evict them from their homes. I mean, they used to have a corner shop apparently where the lady who ran it used to open up the packets of cigarettes and sell them separately because she knew that her clients couldn't buy a whole pack in one go. They could only afford individual ones. Oh, damn. But yeah, I can't imagine this company store was doing that. No. (laughs) Well, so many workers ended up either joining the union directly or indirectly by going on strike with them, leading to 5,800 workers ending up on strike. Ooh. leaving only 900 available to actually work down the mines. Oh, God. The filthy scabs that they are. <laughs> I can always understand these people. Oh, That's I, the problem. I do too. Like, it, it's pointed out that going on strike 
at this particular time, basically, like, it's not only you're not getting money, you're not getting any support from the government. No. You are basically condemning yourself to possibly starving. And yeah. your families as well. And you've presumably not had any opportunity to save anything beforehand yeah. because your wages were cut to 90% of what they were. Yeah. So, for all the... I will probably be continuing to call them scabs Fair in enough. this. Uh, I don't actually think badly of them at all. No. Uh, there are many other people to think badly of in this story. Mm. Because the companies had an ally in the form of Harlan County Sheriff J.H. Blair. Ooh. Blair was aggressively pro-company and anti-union. He stated a belief that all unions were communists. Great, yeah. He, I mean, we see this a lot, and it's partly because there was one miners' union that was openly communist. Okay. Who will come into our story later, but it becomes that thing where, because, you know, technically they're a bit left-leaning, and because there is a communist union... They're all kind of seen as red. It's like, if you want to take down anything to do with companies or business, then you must be communist. Absolutely. It's like, So, J.H. Blair obviously wants to break the strikes. Mm -hmm. So, he was given the power, or he just kind of took the power, to deputise private mine guards to act as these strike breakers and to give them full county deputy privileges. Okay. This meant that these mine guards could act with impunity while within company property and while they're outside it. So they could basically do as they please. What? Yep. Okay. We talked about Ned Kelly a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And about how when Ned Kelly became an outlaw, then that people were allowed to shoot him. Yeah. If they thought he had a weapon. Mm-hmm. It sounds like... These people are not getting as much protection in the law as Ned Kelly when he was an outlaw. Oh, absolutely not, no. No, the strike breakers were free to uh, ransack houses uh, while searching for union leaders. Great. Uh, One such union leader was a man by the name of Sam Reese, who fortunately had been warned that Blair personally was going to be part of a raid on his house. Mm. Uh, Blair and his crew turned up, and when they found that Sam wasn't there, they ransacked the place anyway yeah. terrorised his wife and their seven children oh god and decided to wait for a while until Sam turned up so that he could just shoot him wow yeah Sam obviously knowing that Blair was going to be there mm. just uh, hid basically Good. and this actually led Sam's wife Florence Reese to write the pro-worker song Which Side Are You On? Amazing. And I've listened to it and I'm probably going to play a bit on the podcast here and I'll play it for you too. Mm. Um, It is a bit of a banger, I will say (laughs) that. They say in Harlan County Wow. <laughs> I mean, the lyrics are kind of on the nose. Uh, like, that's, that's it. Just, just, just a tad. <laughs> but surprisingly, despite it being a very specific song, yeah. like they call out J.H. Blair personally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love, are you a filthy scab or are you a man? <laughs> yes. It's very Which good. is like, you're neither Florence. <laughs> Absolutely, but it has actually kind of stayed in uh, 
as a uh, stayed around as a yeah. folk song in the area I because mean, it is kind of a banger it's really like it's a good song and also you can see it would be really easy to change some of the lyrics just to suit whatever particular yeah. union action you've got going on well there was a version that i heard which uh changed it to be about the civil rights movement oh cool yeah but we also have uh some of florence's own words about writing this song and she was like i was exhausted my seven children kept me up all night uh i she may have been exhausted but she was also probably incredibly angry because yeah, florence like was a very strong pro-unionist okay. and a real supporter of workers rights so i've now got to uh do a kentucky accent oh my god uh which which it's it's, it's that sort of thing isn't it yeah i'm gonna do that i, I think that's georgia i don't really care all right <laughs> I tore a sheet from a calendar on the wall and wrote the words to which side are you on to an old Baptist hymn, Lay the Lily Low. I'm going to stop the accent. Uh, I tore a sheet from the calendar on the wall and wrote the words to which side are you on to an old Baptist hymn, Lay the Lily Low. My songs always go to the underdog, to the worker. I'm one of them, and I feel like I've got to be there with them. There's no such thing as neutral. You have to be on one side or the other. Some people say, I don't take sides. I'm neutral. There's no such thing. In your mind, you're on one side or the other. In Holland County, there wasn't no neutral. If you wasn't a gun thug, you was a union man. You had to be. I love it. What an absolute boss. I know, right? She sounds intense. It also sounds like they literally, like, after having ransacked her house and terrified, like, presumably not actually terrified her, but terrified her 10 kids, she was like, literally, right now, yeah, I am going to write this song. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I mean, I imagine she probably spent some of the time while they were there waiting for her husband, sort of like working, what's a good rhyme for scabs? <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised if she wasn't like, are you a man yeah. to those people? When you are a man, you just do it. Sorry. No, <laughs> what? Sorry, that's... Uh, when you just do it, then you are a man. It's from Macbeth. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Let's just inject some Shakespeare into the podcast. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, you're fine. So the workers did fight back against Blair and his men. Uh, they prevented supplies from getting to the mines and would attack the guards and try and prevent the scabs from getting to their work. Mm. Uh, this included exchanges of gunfire. And, oh my God. Yeah, and these events came to a head on May the 5th, 1931, at an event known now as the Battle of Evarts. A motorcade of three cars was transporting goods to the mine near Evarts. They approached the railroad and discovered that the strikers had laid a trap for them. A shot was fired, and we don't know who fired that first shot. Both sides deny it. Right. We don't know to this day exactly what happened, but... As a result of a shot being fired, the motorcade came to a halt and the deputies and guards inside the cars got out to find cover. Mm. One of the deputies was a man called Jim Daniels, who was very well known amongst the strikers as being a particularly vicious and brutal anti-unionist. Okay. And he was one of these deputies. Yeah. He took cover behind a rock and when there was a pause in some of the gunfire, he looked over to take a shot at someone and was shot and killed immediately. Oh my god. The shooting went on for 15 minutes during which over a thousand bullets were fired. 
Sorry, a thousand in 15 minutes? Yeah. That's insane. At the end of the conflict, three deputies lay dead, as did one of the striking miners. Now, as a result of this, the National Guard was called in to try and restore order. I don't know why. I always get excited when the National Guard gets called in in I one know, of our stories. I know. It is a bit exciting, isn't it? It's like it? the cavalry <laughs> Yeah. Well, the striking workers uh, welcomed the National Guard because they thought that they would be on their side because, you know, the companies are clearly exploiting them. Yeah. But the National Guard basically acted with the strike breakers and took over yeah. as the mine guards. And they, would, they broke up the picket lines. On May 24th, a demonstration in support of the miners was tear-gassed, and Sheriff Blair, as a result, revoked the miners' right to assemble. What? Which is actually against the American Constitution. I would have thought so. Yeah, but he basically had enough firepower on his side that the workers couldn't complain. That's mad. I know. I mean, it's no surprise that he is so heavily vilified in these stories, because, frankly, he sounds like a shit. He sounds awful. Yeah. By June 17th, the strikers' position was basically untenable. Mm. They were forced to either return to work or be willing to let them and their families starve to death. Yeah. The mines all reopened as the workers returned to the mines and the union leaders were all blacklisted. Uh, Membership in the UMW dropped as, you know, the union was seen to have completely failed. Yeah. But another union stepped in to try and fill the void. Okay. This one was the National Miners Union. That's I love it. The NMU as opposed to the UMW. Okay. Now, the thing about the NMU was they were openly communist. Hooray! <laughs> and to be honest, this was actually an advantage for them at first because their radical ideology appealed to those who had been left disillusioned by the perceived weakness of the UMW, the yeah, first Yeah, that union. makes sense. It's kind yeah. of like when, you're, when we were teenagers, I think we were very like... We had a lot of Lib Dems in our mm. teenage years. I think we were, you know, nicely idealistic, but we thought, you know, everything can be okay. Yeah. And then we got let down by the Lib Dems. <laughs> and my God, didn't we go straight to Labour? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I kind of went to the Greens for a bit. I mean, same deal, though. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 10 lodges for the NMU sprang up in and around Harlan County. Uh, and the union actually took proactive steps to help those workers who had been blacklisted or had decided to strike. Mm. So they set up soup kitchens to help feed the workers and their families during that time. That's good. Unfortunately, though, their attempts to sort of strike and push the rights mm. of their workers didn't gather much steam, and those outside the NMU were pretty hostile to the group because of their communist ideology. Yeah. One of the main problems was that the union was openly atheist. Oh, no. Okay. So many of the religious figures around were basically like, you shouldn't be part of this. You can't be part of this. And people were kind of like, yeah, fair enough. Because, you know, it was definitely an extreme position to be openly atheist at that time. Yeah. I mean, especially because, you know, people in... Kentucky, I think they're part of the Bible Belt, mm, aren't they? I think so. So even nowadays, it's a very Christian area. And I think there is still some hostility towards atheists yeah. in, in maybe more rural parts, anyway. Yeah. So ultimately, the NMU were unable to help the workers. And by 1932, they'd basically run out of money. So they were forced to give up and abandon the county 
and abandoned the soup kitchens as well. Oh, no. This actually prompted the Red Cross, who had previously stayed out of the conflict because they had policies against taking sides in labour disputes... They came in and set up their own relief effort to help the people who were starving. Oh, wow. I know. It was you that You know bad. you've messed up when the Red Cross need to get involved in your... Yeah. Like, developed nation. Yeah. Now, fortunately for the workers, in 1933, under FDR... We had the New Deal and the National Industrial Recovery Act, or NERA, Mm. which was passed and promoted the right to organise in the workplace. So Sheriff Blair and his whole revoking the right to assemble, get rid of that. And uh, also outlawed discrimination and firings because of union membership. Awesome. Uh, As a result, the mines were now run as what is known as an open shop, which basically means that union members could work in the mines, but Mm -hmm. workers also didn't have to be uh, part of a union in order to work there. So it was kind of a middle ground part of it between them. Uh, Wages also rose to the level of the rest of the country. Yeah. And it seemed like a tentative peace might emerge. But there was still a lot of anti-union sentiment, especially because there were still these deputies around. Mm. So, back come the UMW, the first union. Yay! Who begin a big recruitment drive, and as a result, tensions emerge again. Yeah. And the fervour created by the anti-union sentiment at the time led to some pretty awful assaults against union workers and those who supported them. Uh, A minister who was pro-union found a bomb under his car. Oh, my God. And later had his house shot up. Uh, A union organiser's car was shot at and his apartment was bombed twice. Oh, my God. How? I don't know. (laughs) Presumably he just got it rebuilt and then another bomb goes off. So, for God's sake. Maybe it was a small bomb. Like Maybe maybe it destroyed his kitchen, but not the rest of the house. Maybe. Now, I I guess you could say a good thing to come out of this was that as a result of his failure to keep order, J.H. Blair was voted out of office as sheriff in 1933. Yay! And he was replaced by T.R. Middleton, who ran on a campaign of pro-union behaviour. Why do these people like double initials so much? I don't know, they really do, though. Yeah, it's such a thing. Now, you probably think that having a sheriff who's pro-union is going to make things better. I would have hoped so, but I can assume from the way that you've stated this question, it would not have done. Things were just as bad, if not worse, under Middleton. Uh, During this time, an innocent worker was pistol-whipped by deputies. Oh my god. A workers' rally of miners was attacked by sniper fire. Okay. And by 1934, the deputies had become so wild that the UMW, the union now, asked the National Guard to intervene (laughs) on their behalf. Oh my God. Fortunately for them this time, the National Guard was on their side and was like, yeah, we'll help you out. So once again, the National Guard rides in. Indeed they do. Unfortunately for the unions, though, moves were happening in the Supreme Court that led to many of the pro-union portions of the NERA, the... Mm act I talked about earlier uh, was struck down as unconstitutional okay this allowed the companies to get rid of the open shops and basically undo all of the advances made since the start of this well what is became known as the coal wars mm. 
I like that the Cold Wars are just coming in before the Cold yeah. War. But also, <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely right, though. All of this is just communist activity. <laughs> Businesses should be allowed to run themselves as they see fit. <laughs> absolutely. We are all for the free market and complete exploitation of people. Because, you know, if they... if. If God had wanted them to be wealthy, then he wouldn't have made them poor. If they just worked harder... Oh, yeah, pull their socks up. Then they would be fine. Yeah. Sorry, I've had in my head for a while the fact that um, I'm pretty sure that Kentucky is supposed to be part of District 12 in uh, oh, The right. Hunger Games. <laughs> That would actually make a lot of sense. It seems like a lot of coal mining happens there. I think so. I mean, I know that uh, District 12 is supposed to be Appalachia, basically. And I think mm. Kentucky's part of Appalachia, but it I could be wrong. It is part of Appalachia. Ah, yeah. here, see, I actually have some geography knowledge there. There you go. Um, so, yeah. So, um, I love the fact, first of all, Katniss Everdeen does not have an Appalachian accent. And <laughs> it would have made the film so much funnier. It would have been great. <laughs> but also, it's just thinking about the fact that there's all of the striking going on. It's like it it really gets reflected mm. um, in in the book of The Hunger Games. Like Suzanne Collins talks a lot about her parents who gave her these ideas. Yeah. I think this must have come from sort of... Yeah, that makes a lot whole, of sense. This whole region, yeah. Yeah. In 1935, uh, the Roosevelt administration uh, managed to go further than they had done before with the mm. NERA with the Wagner Act. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> well, that would, be the, that would be the Wagner Act. Stop it. You have no idea how many copyrights there are on that. <laughs> but I'm doing it myself. <laughs> I suppose so. Well, anyway, the Wagner Act uh, outlawed a number of things in favour of the workers. They okay. outlawed what were known as yellow dog contracts. And these <laughs> why? Are, well, I don't know why, but I know, I'll tell you what they are. Okay. They are basically when an employee is given a job with the condition that they never join a union. Right, okay. There were also things known as yellow unions, mm -hmm. which were outlawed. And these were unions organised by companies themselves. Oh, yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah. They also outlawed blacklisting and discrimination based on union membership or activity. Awesome. So basically, Nera got shut down. Yeah. So they came back and basically did the same thing again, but more. Yeah. Which... It's great. Hooray! <laughs> he does the same thing I do, but better. <laughs> now, despite the Wagner Act being passed and, you know, staying in place as opposed to the, to the NERA, in Harlan County, the companies and anti-unionists were not deterred. On July 7th, a group of deputies attacked a crowd who had gathered to celebrate the passing of the Wagner Act. They beat several people up before dispersing the crowds. Oh, my God. Now, at this point, public sentiment began to go against the mine guards, mm. as you would kind of hope. And the governor of Kentucky, a man by the name of Ruby Lafoon. <laughs> Ruby like the gemstone. I believe so, yes. Ruby Lafoon. Ruby Lafoon. <laughs> Which is just, I'm sorry, I love that name so much. That's so good. It's but so also, good. it sounds like it's in Toast of London. It really does, doesn't it? Uh, Governor Ruby Lafoon, who coincidentally was running for re-election that year, Ooh. said that the action of the mine guards was the worst reign of terror in the history of the county. Wow. Yeah. I mean, how old is the county? I have no idea. 
<laughs> but he's definitely coming out with this yeah, pro-union stance. Words. Yeah. This led to an attorney who was affiliated with LeFoon had his car rigged to a bomb. Ooh. And unlike some previous cases, this attorney, Elman C. Middleton, did not escape. Oh, no. He started his car and was blown up with so much force that his engine block was sent a quarter of a mile away. When the scene was later investigated, it was found that 17 sticks of dynamite had failed to go off as part of this bomb. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was basically theorised that had the bomb been fully operational, it would have destroyed much of the surrounding neighbourhood. It sounds like it. Jesus. Yeah. So, of course, this is a huge escalation. And on September 29th, federal troops were sent in to restore order. Oh, my God. They managed to calm everything down because, you know, you've got actual soldiers there. Yeah. And it seemed like everything was, you know, settled and all right. So they're like, our job is done. We're off. Yep. They had to be called twice again that oh year. God. Why did they just exa- stay there? Yeah, for the same reason. You'd think of that, like, by the second point, maybe by the third point, they would just go, we're just going to stay. Where? I, actually, no, sorry, I answered my own question there. Yeah? I was like, where are they getting dynamite? They're miners. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, sorry. Yeah, they're miners and they're a mine company. Yeah. Like, everyone has access to dynamite. <laughs> In 1937, this terrorism on the part of the anti-unionists escalated. Two more cars were bombed. Oh Snipers shot at a union leader and his wife. And in February, that same union leader was shot at in his home. 25 shots were fired. His wife and one of his sons was wounded and his other son was killed. Oh my God. A court witness in the resulting trial was assassinated in June of that year. Yeah. So this had gone beyond anyone's control. What the hell is that? Like, this sounds like Chicago of the same time. Yeah, basically. But this is presumably not that big an area no no not really this is mad absolutely and i think the companies felt the same way so (laughs) they were like okay guys we've had our fun i mean basically by 1938 they abolished the deputy system good yeah finally (laughs) they also agreed to renegotiate contracts with 12,000 miners across the county This wouldn't unfortunately be an end to the disputes between coal miners and the companies in Harlan County. On and off, these would go on right into the 1970s. Oh my God. But fortunately, things were never as bloody as they were during the (laughs) 1930s Coal War. That's insane. Why? (laughs) Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and email suggestions to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as ever, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and keep calendars handy for your song ideas. Bye!